All right, welcome to Under the Great Lakes podcast. My name is Gabe with my co-host Ben. Howdy. And Jacob. How's it going? So this week we're going to be reviewing Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which honestly, I, I have a lot to say about it and hopefully you guys do as well. But first, before that, we'll hop into our little promo for a special episode that Jacob and Ben recorded. If Jacob, you want to talk about that for a little bit? Oh, for for the last episode? 2. Yeah. 5? Your two the 2.5 that should be up already. Yeah. Uh really all I got to say is that you know, don't mind the the crappy audio quality. I don't think I realized just how <laughs> sensitive that microphone is. And uh going forward, I I'm getting a new mic right now. My old one broke, so I'm using a completely new one. Hopefully it's a little bit better than the one I used there. I just used my laptop on the last one. So there's a lot of like small sounds that got picked up that I didn't realize were going to be picked up. I, I got rid of most of them, but I think if you really look at it and look for them, you'll you'll find a couple stuff like <laughs> me opening a bag of candy. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> so that that's it, really. Just sorry about that. And uh, hopefully it was still good, and you can make it through it. Amateurs. Yeah, ben, you, ben, you got anything? <laughs> yeah. That was a good time recording. We recorded it together, so there's a little... I got those, like, high school giggles, just, like, actually being there with you, trying to record it. But uh, I think we pulled it together, and we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I was going to say, we didn't write anything down, and it was pretty, uh, just pretty loose. I remember going in, we were like, this is going to be a mini episode. Let's keep it to like 30, 45 minutes just with the game. <laughs> and then like 30, 45 minutes, we were still in the first couple hours. And I was like, fuck, I got a lot to talk about this game. <laughs> like, Yeah, we really rushed through uh, the second half. But I think we still got a lot done. Like, we talked about a lot of it. And I feel yeah. like we talked about most of what I wanted to get to. So I feel pretty good about it, regardless. But uh, I think if we did something like that again, we wouldn't do it in that format. We just kind of went through the story. And talked yeah. about moments. We did a lot of recapping it. Yeah, and I think we would probably not try that again because that took up a lot of time. But besides that, though, I thought it was it went by pretty well. Well, hopefully you guys check that out. Uh, it should already be up, and if you play The Last of Us Two, it'll be a little, a little bit of a bonus for you because I haven't played it, so they have barred me from listening to it. Yeah, he said he's going to, but. It, <laughs> better not I'm, gonna, I'm uploading it blind yeah but yeah. all right that'll push us over into ben has got some movie news just like always the best part best part. of the opening of these episodes okay um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm setting you on a high standard it, this is a this is a weird week for news i'm kind of all over the place with it i guess i'll start off quick with a box office update it's uh it's a little less exciting just because we're kind of used to it being classic movies now so it's not as important but it is fun to note that uh empire strikes back is back at the top spot made uh over six hundred thousand dollars this last weekend so it's nice that for its 20th anniversary it's getting that little kick back to the jump you know back to the number one spot uh other movies are pretty much the same like black panther number two inside out number three jurassic park the goonies so that's pretty interesting otherwise only new movies that are really kind of making any kind of splash is a uh, relic almost made thirty thousand dollars just from like the the few theaters that are open and drive-ins so i'm excited to get around to seeing that i've heard good things about relic 
and then Followed and The Wretched, which is interesting because they're all horror movies. So it feels like that's a genre that does not care if it's in theaters or not. They're just kind of releasing it as they go. Uh, otherwise, I guess we'll do our every podcast update on Tenet. Tenet Watch. Um, interesting news came in today that uh, reportedly, so not confirmed, but it reportedly needs to gross over $800 million at the worldwide box office to break oh. even. And that's rough. <laughs> so they're, yeah, they're going to wait it out. But like, I've every report I've heard is that it's not going to make that kind of money. Like, we, we don't know the kind of legs. That's the thing, is that they really are anticipating this movie having long legs. And that's kind of what they need to bank on now. Because all of the initial reports for how it could open, even in the next few months, are not looking good. Um, and that is an insane amount of money to to guarantee any kind of profit like you should never have a movie that needs to almost make a billion dollars just to break even like that i mean i feel like some some franchises can kind of justify that but this one's going off of like i think i think only endgame is the i think endgame's the only one where they were like certain that they'd make that kind of money so they didn't care how and i mean they almost made three billion so was like star endgame like Force Awakens and the new ones. Uh, I think they were all like two fifty clean, so like they had to make like five hundred, five fifty okay. to break even. Probably like six hundred actually, but but still like a lot of Nolan's movies make in and around seven eight hundred million. So to to need that to make any kind of profit yeah. is scary. Hopefully people just want to go see something like that, but that's uh, yeah. that's definitely a risk, and I didn't realize. Otherwise, I'm hearing early reports that they're going to have to push it back again, but that's not confirmed in any way. And then the only confirmed news update I have on Tenet is they finally announced how long it's going to be. So it's a clean two and a half hours. So I think that's a good runtime for a film like that. It's nothing it's nothing notable, but I'm glad it's not like under two hours or over three. You know, it's a good clean yeah, runtime. So let's move away from Tenet, though, right now. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all I got for Tenet. Otherwise, Comic-Con's been going on all week. Did you guys know that? <laughs> really? Yep. Comic-Con at home has been going on, I guess it was last week all the way through. I think it started on Thursday. And not a single human being has cared. They they weren't really like announcing what was going on until like the day or two before. And there were a lot of rumors like, oh, maybe Marvel's going to announce a whole bunch of stuff. And then they're like, nope, confirmed nothing from Marvel. Nothing really from Disney+. Plus. Like, it's... I think I was looking through, like, skimming what is going on there. And it's like, I think the only slightly interesting panels were Fox did a bunch for all their animated series. Like, Bob's Burgers and Family Guy and stuff. I'm like, I don't really care <laughs> about those. It's And then there's a lot of, like, rumors going around, like how uncertain the future is for Comic-Con now, even just going forward with or without COVID. So yeah, let's just talk about that for a second. What do you guys think about those kind of like fan expo and Comic-Con, WizardCon, stuff like that? You guys think that's kind of going to be a thing in the uh, past or you think it'll come back? I don't know. I've never been to like a Comic-Con, but we have fan expo up here. Yeah, they do some fun panels. Like they had the big Back to the Future reunion. Yeah, but I feel like ago. it's always really cool though, just to go to places like that that have like even... Uh, just vendors selling really cool stuff and being able to like buy stuff like yeah. that. I don't know. I hope it's not a thing. Of the yeah. Past. I, think I feel like really it's cool. a good place for even like outside of, you know, just 
big companies, like a lot of YouTubers and stuff like that, they find like a good place for their like going there and making money off of that. I could see specifically just San Diego Comic Con dying out just because it's so expensive for like people to go to. There's such a crazy waiting list. Didn't they have? Don't they have like it's basically like a raffle to get tickets to Jesus. that? Like unless you've been before, it's almost impossible. Yeah, I think to get I think tickets to I that. think it's like all online. Like you're in a waiting room and it sells out within seconds. That sucks. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. But I don't know. I don't think they're gonna disappear. And there's enough demand. I don't know that like Mar- Marvel and DC tend to be doing their own things when it comes to announcing mm-hmm. stuff. I guess Marvel finally came back to Comic-Con last year for the first mm-hmm. time in a while, and they had their big Phase 4 announcement, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, I miss the days when Comic-Con meant something. Like, I was always so stoked for Comic-Con every year. Like, they'd always release all the big trailers, all the big casting right. announcements. They're, like, they just definitely got a... Like, what's it called? Like, San Diego Comic-Con to maybe get its footing back after obviously not happening, and if it doesn't happen again next year is they're just going to have to throw their money into something big. Get big panels, get big people, and if they yeah. do that, they know people are going to go, like show up. Isn't there uh is there Disney Expo now? Uh D23 is a biannual like Comic-Con type thing. I wonder if that like are they doing less stuff now at Comic-Con and maybe less people are going to that? Oh yeah, Disney definitely holds out a lot of their stuff for D23, but because it is biannual, I feel like they still have a big presence at Comic-Con at least every other year. But like, yeah, they yeah. just had their last like D23 thing in August, and they announced like a bunch of stuff about all the parks. and. Yeah, I feel like I've been paying less attention to, to Comic-Con over the years, for sure. Like, the only... I'll say the only big things I kind of uh, like watch now, it's not even like expos, I guess kind of, but like E3. Just watching trailers and stuff like that. But even this year was kind of, eh. Not too much that excited me that much. Alright, so moving on, we got a couple new trailers in the last week or so. I don't know if you guys even watched some. One just came out today. Did you guys watch the trailer for Project Power? I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I didn't know what it was until this morning. So, uh, it's a Netflix movie starring Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh... I guess it's about, like, this pill that you can take that gives you superpowers for five minutes. And everybody has, like, their own individual superpower the same way they would if they had the mutant gene and X-Men and stuff like that. Uh, it doesn't look great, but it could be fun. You know? Kind of reminds me of, like, Limitless, but with superpowers. And I haven't seen Joseph Gordon-Levitt in anything, like, kind of big in a while. And I, I really miss him, so... It'll be interesting to see him come back. That comes out in two weeks? Yeah, right. Oh, wait, no, man. Like a month from now. <laughs> or August, August 14th. Yeah. So mind. a month. Interesting. That's crazy. That's cool. Yeah. I had no idea it was even... They just dropped the poster and the trailer today. <laughs> uh, they dropped the trailer for Muppets Now, which I, I think looks kind of funny. I'm a big fan of the Muppets. I don't know if you guys care about the Muppets at all. But I was heartbroken when they when they canceled that last the like the mockumentary series. It only ran for one season. I thought it was hilarious. They brought a lot of like adult humor to the Muppets with not, a lot of big celebrity cameos. I'm not gonna lie, I haven't even like watched the the movie yet. Yeah, me neither. But the 2011 movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy, that one's so good. Yeah. Um, and then 
the the boys season two trailer dropped. I know Jacob has seen that. I Have you seen that. season one of the boys game? Um, I watched like two episodes of it. Um, I've been meaning to watch more. Fun fact though, way back in February, I want to say no, definitely not February. Oh, it was like way back in November or some shit. Like, I pulled Jacob out to go to a a punk show, some for some punk band that I like and his girlfriend likes, and uh, it got moved venues. It was supposed to be at Sneaky D's in Toronto. Got moved to the Hard Luck because the boys were filming at Sneaky D's that day, and it was a very last minute. Wait, did Sneaky D's also just get shut down recently? Oh, I don't. Or no, was that Crocodile Rock? No, I don't think. Probably the latter. Of the okay. Um, Sticky D's is still open because they're a bar, so they have the patio set up right now. But yeah, like it was, it was um, post or it was moved to a different menu. And one of my friends who signed up for some talent agency to be an extra and a bunch of filming shit in Toronto, uh, messaged me about it. It's like, yeah, I'm at Sneaky D's right now. They're filming a show called The Boys. I've never heard <laughs> of it, and I'm like, dope. That's dope. But that also maybe go to a different venue for the yeah. Show. I feel like I. Everyone I know that watches the show, this isn't news to them, but I guess for anyone listening, like, that whole show films a lot in and around Toronto, so it's kind of cool seeing, like, even, like, Roy Thompson Hall is, like, the the tower for the seven, like, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of cool just walking around, seeing all the areas they film in Toronto. So I'm really excited for season two of that. I think it's going to be a blast. It looks really good. Yeah, no, I'm really excited, for sure. For, for new movie trailers, though, um... We had a lengthy conversation about this, but I'm pumped for The Tax Collector with Shia LaBeouf. Very, very excited. Wait, is there a trailer for that? Yeah, there's been oh, a trailer. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to lie, I did not watch, watch the trailer. <laughs> I just saw the poster. <laughs> okay, so this one looks sick. I am a big fan of Fury and End of Watch, which Jacob says he has not seen, but trashes as a David Ayers. <laughs> Ayers. <laughs> What? Whatever. I didn't trash him to watch. No, you were trashing trashing Ayer, man. My boy, David. Oh, my God. We even have this conversation here. You can pull it up now. Okay, I'm going to pull up the receipts. Oh, no. Because this guy, the director also did um, Suicide Squad and what the fuck else did he do? Bright? (laughs) That fucking bullshit of a movie. Okay, he's two for two. Or two. (laughs) He's two out of two. And two on win and losses, but this is going to be the deciding factor. He can't. The guy can't do PG movies. He's got to do an R-rated movie. He's got to have the the freedom to do what he wants. Also, Shia LaBeouf got an entire torso piece like tattoo for this movie. Yeah, which was well, I was going to say, you know, uh, like how he was in Fury and everything. How he has like the scars on his uh, his cheek. Oh right, apparently he, is he in got. Fury. Yeah, apparently he got a knife and he actually cut those scars into his cheek for authenticity. Bro, nobody's like, talking about Shia cool. LaBeouf's but if, method. I love how he just stepped. Yeah, he stepped it up for David Ayer twice. Did you do you know about his audition for the movie? What's Playboy? Nympho Nymph, Nymphomaniac? Is that the oh, Nymphomaniac. Oh, yeah, I told my girlfriend about this. Yeah, he sent in his sex tape as his audition. I didn't know that, actually. That's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah, that was his that was his uh, uh, audition for the movie it was just a sex tape and they're like Shy is a yeah, freak. Okay. Low key, man. Low key. Yeah, I don't know if it's low key. Great, 
great actor. I love him. Well, you always see this shit about like Jared Leto and the whole rat thing with like Suicide Squad, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, look at this!" And then here's Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> like, Shia's like, oh, not hurting anybody though. He's not being like a dick to anybody. Yeah, I know. But I'm sure. What I mean, like method actor. Uh, wasn't it Lars von Trier that directed that movie? Nymphomaniac. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Lars von Trier was like sick, cool. Like got that email. It's just like, all right, you're in. This is a good porn. So, guys, I know we're in the middle of my news segment, but uh, my cat just puked all over my bed. <laughs> so, I don't know if you want to edit this out or just keep talking about the tax collector for like a minute, but I'll be right back. Yeah, keep it in. I'll talk. Okay. About it. Keep that in. So, he got this massive torso tattoo. And, like, I work at a tattoo shop and I've seen like bigger pieces. And that's the biggest piece I've seen somebody get done. Like, the thing I is almost, insane. I don't know. I almost it don't believe so that that's real. <laughs> like, I wonder if it's just really good uh, publicity. Bro, it is real. Nah. No, no, no. I don't. The, the tattoo artist posted the stencil <laughs> oh God, and him crazy, getting man. tattooed on Instagram. That's where it was first found. Like, he, he posted a photo of himself like it was the promo shoot of him sitting in a chair with, like, sunglasses, smoking a cigarette yeah, like, shirtless. Yeah. And then... Yeah, the the tattoo artist posted that maybe two days later, and it like flooded the internet. And I was talking to somebody I know, and we were wondering like, did Shia LaBeouf, like, did was it written in for his character to have tattoos, or <laughs> was he just like, you know, it'd be cool if he had tattoos, and just went out and got tattoos. Yeah, something. <laughs> maybe he was like, you know what? I don't want to do the makeup for that every day. I'd rather just have it on my body forever. <laughs> He's um. I've seen more Charlotte Buff movies than I actually think I have. Eagle Eye. Remember Eagle Eye? Yeah, Peanut Butter Falcon's pretty great. That was one of my Peanut favorite Butter movies Falcon, last year. Honey Boy. Um, what else has been in? Even like Disturbia, you know? Disturbia. Old that's classic. Transformers. Uh, I've only seen the first two because I hate the second that's the one. Only ones, that's the only ones that matter. You know, it's pretty fun. Don't watch the one with Mark Wahlberg. I'm not going to go watch those movies, but I don't even worry about it. Man. Ugh, they're dumpster fires. But no, it it looks like a solid movie. And you said you haven't seen End of Watch. And it gives me the same vibes as that. And that movie is great. That that is up there with um one of my favorite Jake Gyllenhaal movies. Well, I'll I'll get around to it then. We'll we'll definitely have an episode maybe where we either talk about the whole movie or like that movie and the director or just the movie. What else is new we can talk about? Um, oh, well, we just talked about this before it started starting to record, but uh, the new Seth Rogen movie coming out. American Pickle? Is that American Pickle. Which I'm actually pretty excited. I'm excited. I watched, on, like, going by the, the, the synopsis of it, of a man from the 20s or 30s, whatever, falling into a brine of pickle juice or whatever, pickle brine, whatever it's called. And then waking up like a hundred years later, I was like, this is ridiculous. Then the trailer dropped. I'm like, this is a little less ridiculous. All right, I'm back. Yeah, boys. I'm always just kind of. Oh, welcome. <laughs> Sorry about that. How was, how was your cat? Yeah, she's good, I guess. She's just getting some fresh air. You all right? Like that, what happened? I don't know. She just, I thought she was coming up a hairball, but she puked on my bed. And she puked on the huh. floor a little bit too. So Mary, watch out. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, Mary stamped in it right there. Uh, well, you didn't miss much. We just talked about Shia LaBeouf and uh, American Pickle. Uh, all right. I, I don't have much news left anyway. 
I'll uh, rapid fire through a couple of the last ones I have. Um, Uncharted 4 officially commences production again. Tom Holland showed off his new look for it and a little behind-the-scenes photo for it. Uh, they're making a Lost Boys stage musical. I've actually never seen that movie, and I was thinking about seeing it, like, even tonight, because it's in the drive-in right now. But Ooh, I've heard it's good. Beetlejuice and Lost Boys, right? I think that was the double feature at Port Hope. Sorry? Um, I think the double feature in Port Hope is uh, yeah. Beetlejuice and yeah, the Lost Beetlejuice. Boys. It's funny, too, because I just saw the stage musical of Beetlejuice this year, and now they're making one for the Lost Boys. Um, and then... More, I don't know if you guys have heard all the news about uh, Joss Whedon recently, but a lot of people are stepping forward and talking, talking some smack about Joss. And I kind of believe it all. <laughs> Wasn't that, I feel like that was there last week and I was thinking about mentioning it. I think we might have mentioned the original one where the actor who plays Cyborg, Ray Fisher, stepped forward and talked about how he was terrible on set of Justice League. But like a lot of people are stepping yeah. forward, talking about him now. Well, at that point, his... His wife had already come forward at that point, like, years yeah. ago. And, like, at the time, everyone was just like, oh, you're crazy. It's like, <laughs> no, like, I fully believe her. Yeah, I, I, can, I, I believed totally her back then, that. too. I was like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Apparently, uh, James Marsters, the guy who plays um, Spike on Buffy, he stepped yeah. forward saying, like, they had a really bad story where he, like, pinned him up against a wall and, like, threatened to, like, I don't know if he threatened to kill James Marsters or threatened to kill off Spike because he was mad at what they were doing with the character. This this is what James Marsters said, quote for like word for word. He said, "I don't care how pop or how popular you are, kid. You're dead. You hear me? Dead, dead." <laughs> and then apparently he was just like awkwarded out, and he's like, "It's your like it's your game, man. Like it's your show. Okay, whatever. <laughs> like, do whatever you." So I, I'm assuming he meant the character. So I guess the whole thing in question was that like. Joss always wanted the vampires yeah. to really look scary and ugly. And then James Marsters was kind of like a pretty boy vampire. And he was mad that the studio wanted to keep him in it as like a pretty boy the whole time. So I guess yeah, he like got actor, mad and like, threatened sorry, James Marsters about it. And he's like, man, like I'm just here to do whatever's in the script. Like, And then the guy even asked yeah. him, was, like, was he kidding though? Or was it real? And he's like, no, hell no. Like He was angry. Well, did you... <laughs> Like any of those quotes from uh, the Wonder Woman script? Just another messed up story about Joss. Right. Yeah. It's Not like, that it's... You go. I kind of always got that feeling with him, where it's like the only way he has, knows how to like, write a woman character, like a girl character, is uh, either like really fragile or a complete badass, you know? But I haven't seen Buffy or anything, but... It's funny because he was praised <laughs> as a feminist for so long. People see And now he's it. like notorious for being kind of a sexist. Um, and then... My last thing I had is for the 30 Rock reunion special they're doing this week for the, the new Peacock streaming service, like the NBC streaming service is launching. Uh, apparently a bunch, I think like I said, 60% of the broadcasters like aren't going to show it. They're all pulling out, like all the stations. And they're pulling out because they don't want to have an hour-long advertisement for a streaming service on TV. <laughs> I'm like... I guess, yeah, that kind of, like, I feel like that's something you should have discussed earlier, since it's <laughs> premiering in, like, a day or two. But, like, yeah, like, it, that's crazy, because I guess it makes sense. It's like running an hour-long Netflix special on ABC, <laughs> you know? Like, so I think that's kind of, th at first I thought it was going to be about, like, all the controversy with the Blackface episodes, because that just happened, like, 
a week after they announced the reunion. But yeah, it's just because all the stations don't want to advertise a streaming service on ne- on network television. <laughs> like, I haven't bought anything on, on YouTube or anything like that. I always rent movies. And I've, I've been going through Community Season 2, and Ben already knows the story, where I got to the episode before Dungeons & Dragons, where if anyone that watches that show knows it got taken off Netflix recently because Chang was in blackface. He's dressed as an elf. So it was on, off Netflix, and... In in the show is a lot like canon. It's a pretty important episode, so I wanted to watch it, and I bought it. And then the one thing that was in my like my YouTube library was that one episode. I was like, you know, this doesn't really look good, so I've bought a couple of other episodes since then just to make it look a little bit better. It's like, it is crazy that that's really the only way that if you didn't already have it on DVD or you don't want to go buy the season box sets, like. You can't just watch that anywhere now, you know? They're never going to show it on TV again. They're not going to add it back to Netflix, probably. I was just thinking, like, somebody probably has a library full of all these blackface episodes from all these different TV shows. (laughs) It looks really bad. (laughs) Yeah, just filled with those ones specifically. (laughs) Yeah, because that's the only way they can watch it. Anyway, that's my wrap for news this week. And I guess this week is also my question, so should we just head on to that? or? Hell yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go with a bit of a lighter question. You don't have to think too hard about it. I'll answer first so you guys can have some time to think about it because I didn't give you guys the question in advance. But uh, my question is just, what what is the first movie you remember watching as a kid that kind of cemented your love and passion for film? Like, even if, I don't know when you guys got into film specifically, like, maybe you didn't love film till you were 10, 15, 5. But like, what's the earliest movie you really remember where you were like, I love this, I love movies, and that's when it kind of started your passion. So mine, I was six years old, and I was driving to, um, or we were, yeah, I guess we were driving to Myrtle Beach with my family, and we put a, a TV with a VCR in the van, and I watched all three Back to the Futures on VHS. <laughs> all in a row, like in a six-hour span while driving, so my brother was asleep because he hates van rides. Parents were in the front. Like I was a whole row back watching it on an old RCT, and I watched all three, and then on the way back home, I watched all three again. And, like, the first Back to the Future still holds up as, like, probably my second favorite movie of all time. I love that movie. And I think that's, like, that and Jurassic Park are the earliest examples of something that, like, really, really got me into film. Who do you get, Who wants to go first, Jacob, Gabe? I'll, I'll go first, because I kind of have... So I have a few different answers, because I feel like there's different, like, there's different times when I've gotten, like, deeper and deeper into films. Like, the first thing, like, m- the movie that I really remember that, like, stuck with me... Okay, before, before, actually, something before I even remember. My mom told me I always watched, like, The Lion King growing up when I was a kid. Like, that was the movie I watched all the time. But the movie I really remember, like, sticking with me and making me, like, love movies when I was younger too, was, yeah, probably, like, Back to the Future. That's the one I was thinking of also. But then once I kind of became a teenager, that's when I started, like, liking movies outside of just, like, entertainment. and started, like, you know what I mean? Like, movies that made you start thinking about stuff. I'd say probably Social Network. That's when I was, like, maybe 13 or so. And I was just like, whoa. It's a movie where people are only talking. There's not really, like, any action. <laughs> Which was, like, not really the movies I was watching up until that point. And yeah, I just, I loved it. That was probably the movie that stuck with me the most and still probably my favorite movie. For a lot of different reasons. It makes you wonder, like, if those are the movies that stick with us for that reason. Because all 
like all of those things, like Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, and Social Network, they're all in my top ten still, <laughs> and like they're also very influential on me. Yeah. And I wonder, like, is that just because I can't let like, go of the nostalgia, the influence of it, or like, <laughs> I genuinely do think they're all great films. So. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I guess that's a whole other conversation. Let's get to get to Gabe first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I could say the same about like my young life. Not young life, but like just before I turned like to my teens when I was like ten or eleven, uh, with the social network. And my parents took me to see that. I it was the same thing like you said, yeah. Jacob, <laughs> where there's like no action, it's just dialogue the entire movie. But I was like, no, this is this is it. This is good. But um if I had to pick like a movie that really turned my head into just loving film to begin with, like in cinema and everything, it'd Probably would have been ooh, when I was seven or eight um, with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like we have all those John Hughes movies on VHS and I I guess just one day my dad put it on and was just going to watch it for himself and I was there so I watched it with him. Absolutely loved it and then I remember the next night he put on The Breakfast Club which still holds up as one of my favorite movies of all time. So probably that like a couple years before. Yeah, the social network came out is when I started like appreciating cinema to to what I could for like an eight year old. <laughs> um, I had, uh, I think at that point is when I started diving deeper into older movies because obviously at the time, like as an eight year old, all I want to see are like animated movies yeah. or action movies and stuff that's coming out. Um, but other like that was really the kickstarting point of my dad just showing me older movies that he had on VHS, which went everywhere from like the breakfast club, Ferris Bueller's day off into the shining. And we did watch a lot of the older Disney movies that I didn't yeah. see when I was younger. Or at least there, there are other ones so, too. Yeah, like that's that <laughs> I probably watched fight club when I was like 10 years old and that yeah, didn't get, I watched it early too. Yeah. It didn't get like anything out of like, didn't understand it, but I loved it. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, if if we're talking like more mature movies, you could say, as a young at a young age, um, I remember like on the weekends as a rebellious child, I would stay up until like three a.m. because I had a TV in my room and I would just turn it down really quietly, and much music used to show a bunch of movies at like around midnight, and I remember Wayne's World being on TV, and that was when I was like nine or ten. It was on at like midnight, and I was like, I have no idea what movie this is. <laughs> and I thought it was a TV show. I vividly remember it. I was like, this is a weird TV show. This is really long. And now Wayne's World is in like my top 10, hands down. I absolutely um, love that I was going to say, the movie I watched probably too also when I was youngest, like the most when I was youngest. I must have seen like Dumb and Dumber more than like 200 times. <laughs> like me and my dad and my brother would watch like <laughs> that, that VHS over and over and over and over again. I thought it was, like, the funniest movie I've ever seen. It's been a few years since I've seen it, but I feel like that movie would still really hold up. That you know what movie great. I know wouldn't hold up? That I don't really have a desire to ever watch again that I've genuinely probably seen more than a hundred times because of your brother? Good Burger. It's Good Burger. Good Burger. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted me to watch Good Burger, like, every other time we hung out, and we used to hang out, like, four times a week. It was Yu-Gi-Oh!, or Good Burger. There was nothing else. 
Oh, God. I uh, kind of forgot about that, that movie. That would be so bad. Right when you said that, I remembered that. <laughs> it bothered me because when I was younger... stupid Nickelodeon orange VHS tape. <laughs> uh. It bothered me because when I was younger, like, I hated that movie, and you guys would only... Like, you guys would quote it all the time around me. And I was like, shut <laughs> up. Like, <laughs> don't want to hear it. Movie. I feel like it's probably actually pretty funny. I don't know. I think I would like it more now, and you'd like it less. <laughs> probably. <laughs> But, uh, you guys... All right, should we get... Yeah, get right and, into uh, Yeah, should we? So, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. A lot of people could have, uh, claimed this to be movie of the year. It's, I've seen that a lot. I've seen a lot of people put this at the top of their list. This is some of the best cinematography they've seen. And for it to not to get an Oscar win, that's a... That's surprising. And I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm, even a win, not even a nomination, but not even a, oh yeah, not even a nomination. And I really pushed. I like beating myself up for how much I pushed off watching this movie. No, I feel like we we were all gonna watch it a while ago, and then we were like, oh, it's coming to Criterion, so we just waited, and then it didn't come to Criterion. Criterion U.S. We had to watch. Yeah, so, Canada apparently. Sorry about saying that last week. That was my bad. <laughs> Yeah, I was Figuring trying to see out. this movie for a long time. Like, I, I remember it came to the Tiff Bell Lightbox, and there was two weeks where I could have seen it there. And then it, I think it left there, and then COVID kind of happened all at the same time. So, like, I've been trying to watch this movie for a long time, but this was kind of the first real opportunity we've had. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. There's a little breakdown in the movie. So, it's France, 1770. I think it's Brittany, if that's... Brittany, France, I don't know how to say it. Um, Marianne, a painter, is commissioned to do the wedding portrait of Eloise, a young woman who has just left the covent. Eloise is a reluctant bride to be, and Marianne must paint her without her knowing. She observes her day by day to paint her secretly. Uh, it is directed and written by Celine Siama, and it stars Adele Anel. Uh, what's it? Sorry if I butcher these names. Uh, Naomi Merlin and Luyana Barami. And I guess I should uh, read off some of these awards it won. But it won the. I, okay, I think it's a C. It's not Caesar, but I'm going to say Caesar just because I don't want to make a fool of myself. The Kaiser. C- Cesar? I don't know. <laughs> uh, for, it won an like award Caesar? for best. Cin- no, there's an accent. Keep going, keep going. Okay, so I won an award for Best Cinematography, uh, Keynes Film Festival for Best Screenplay, European Film Award for Best Screenwriter, National Society of Film Critics Awards for Best Cinematography. Um, it's a decorated film. It, it's very decorated, other than probably the biggest award show in the world, like globally. <laughs> Which Apparently is very telling of the Academy, too. Oh yeah, I like unless they consider it this year because it had like, but it's still released in theaters last year, just very very limited. So, um, yeah, I don't I know. So, actually. But uh, I'll kick it over to Ben if you want to just give your quick like first impressions of it, and then Jacob, yeah, follow follow after Ben. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say too. Even before impressions, do you guys just while we're talking about like the Academy and the Oscars and all that, what do you guys specifically think this should have won? Or been nominated for. Oh, I... Okay, so... This is, like, a really 
weird thing because it doesn't make sense but it makes sense i really think that this movie if it was going to win other than cinematography which was like a given nomination we should talk about this after because i think we can these will be brought up probably well i'm just gonna say this real quick (laughs) yeah um because i've already started cinematography uh original screenplay like it's a very simple story but original screenplay and i'll go into that a little, little more or and this one's this is the weird one but foreign film and i really think they could have gave it foreign film and then either take parasite out of that category and then or just give them the best picture one yeah that's a whole other like conversation of like it's kind of cheap when something wins best foreign or sorry i guess like if something's nominated for best picture and also nominated for best foreign picture but nothing like none of the other foreign nominees are nominated for best picture you know what's winning best foreign like it can't be anything else yeah i'm it would have been better if I just didn't Yeah, that, that could almost be like a little loophole where it's like, okay, if we're going to nominate a foreign film for Best Picture, it's excluded from the race for foreign picture. Yeah. yeah. And then open it up the Best Picture. Bit. Happened with Roma, too. I mean, Roma didn't win, but nom- and it was nominated for Best Picture, and you're like, okay, well, that's going to win foreign film. Like, why would They would have had that rule in place. Had I Twenty Dragon would have won Best Animated Picture, while Toy Story 3 was nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> it breaks my heart every day. But yeah, do you guys um, think anything for actress, like best actress, best supporting? I was going to say, I think it deserves uh, best production design. Like, because a lot of the art design was, like, insanely good. Um, and then, yeah, uh, even sound design I thought was really good. And then, I I feel like, yeah, best actress, I, I agree with. But that's good. That's a whole other conversation of whether or not they'd even open that up ever. Just right off the bat, I'll say, like, this movie could, you could justify this movie being nominated in a majority of the big categories. Like, the co- I love a period piece, and the, uh, the Academy goes buck wild for fucking women in 1700s dresses, so I'm surprised. I think the, didn't get, like, a, like a look. The minimal cast kind of has a say in that, too, because like, there's only so many outfits you can have on three characters, you know? Well, let's kick it over to our yeah. first impressions because we're gonna start like talking about this movie every at like random points. So Ben, if you want to start, and then uh, Jacob, good. So heading into this movie, I was super excited because I've only heard amazing things about it. Uh, but I kind of thought it was gonna be a bit of a deeper movie, like more metaphorical, and uh, it was a lot more surface level than I thought it was gonna be. I think like. Right after watching it, I only had good things to say, and then Jacob and I kind of talked about it and kind of came to that same conclusion. I think there's just, like, a stigma around the idea of a movie being surface level. But I think just heading into, you know, like, a a foreign film with all these, like, accolades and attention, I was, like, expecting something a bit deeper. But now that I really think about it, like, there's really not a lot I didn't like about this movie. I thought it was really well done. I love the characters, and it really is just a, a really good character study between these two women. And uh, I thought it was beautifully written, performed, uh, some really, really great cinematography. There's a few shots in particular we'll get around to discussing, but um, yeah, I just had a really good time with it. That was great. It's weird, because like, yeah, like you were saying, when we kind of, when I first walked away from it, I thought it was like pretty good. But then like the more and more I thought about it, and the more I write about it, I was kind of like, 
growing to think like there's not really much I even dislike about this movie, even though it, like it didn't like, it didn't strike me too much and like I wasn't completely like captivated by it or anything like that. Because I see a lot of people saying like it's one of the most like emotionally heavy movies. And I was kind of expecting, like I don't know, I kind of expected to to feel something a bit more. I I didn't didn't connect with it as much as I thought I would, but everything about it though is pretty. Like, it's pretty great. Like, everything that's behind the scenes and how it's made is all, like, insanely impressive. And, yeah, like like you guys were saying, the cinematography is great. I think the editing is pretty, pretty tight. Uh, the acting is phenomenal. There's really not a lot to say that isn't, gr- like, good about it. I just don't really... For me, I, I don't really connect with the characters that much. I guess I didn't think there was a lot going on in the story. That like like Ben was saying, it was kind of like surface level, where I don't know. I, it's it's hard for me to really describe it. I've I've been trying to think about how to even say it, but I I don't know. We'll get into it deeper once we just talk about it. Gabe, what do you what do you have to say about this? Um, I agree with it being like the story and concept of everything is is very simple. It's a very simple movie. But it is just as like beautiful, if not more, with like ev- like everything about it, with how it's shot, and like you said, when you dug deeper into the actual like filming and making of this movie, like they shot on on site and like on the coast of like Brittany, France, which is you can't you can't um what's the best word like mimic that in a studio or CGI like I think that's that really played into how beautiful it looked on the outdoor scenes was just shooting on location but the performances and everything was just very what's it called it made me pay attention i don't know i don't know how to say this in a better way but it's it's kind of a movie that left me speechless in a way but like mm-hmm. i know what you mean though where i thought uh i always think it's really impressive when a movie that doesn't have that many locations can still feel like like it has a lot going on and there's a lot like you don't just feel like you're in one spot you don't feel like it's crazy despite this like the runtime i never really yeah felt like that's what i was gonna say it. like two a two hour runtime is like in today's standards today's standards are not long yeah like in today's standards a two hour runtime is not like abnormal it is longer and in a movie like this like two hours can drag on but it even in like the context of the scenes like it is just dialogue and yeah i can see this 100 percent not being some people's thing but if you just kind of enjoy the details in movie making like there's a lot to take away from it and a lot to just to see and everything like whenever the girl um uh helene delmer the, the painter the girl that actually did all the paintings for the movie it's uh her hands in the movie the whole the whole time and like Oh, I was just kind of like fascinated whenever it was th- that kind of stuff. It was just like beautiful to watch, and like all of, yeah, like all the drawings, like all the the sketches and all the paintings, they're all done by by one woman. And it's like that that stuff was insane to me. It was so impressive. Like you know the first painting that they draw, where she introduces it to it. When I saw it, it like. It's, it's do, do you mean the like, one in like the first it? scene or the first one she like chronologically does? Chronologically, the one that she uh, presents to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To her. Yeah. 
like it's it's so crazy how it looks like her but not completely like it looks like a drawing made out of first glances you know what i mean and that's that's what it is and it's crazy how she can like capture that just thinking about that blew my mind where i was like that that's perfect like how do you do that <laughs> and yeah they discussed that and like in the film too it's um i'll just go by character names yeah i'll go by the character names just to make it a little easier but like eloise says like she looks at the painting and says like this is how you perceive me this is like how you see me from your eyes and then that's when like and then she like destroys like marianne destroys the painting and obviously the final product that they make is a lot more detailed and a lot more comparable to Eloise's character but after we'll talk about what happens but like the closer they get and flesh out like learning this person and how they are and how they actually perceive yeah them the, inside and when it was out. in her room too and you could see like all the the drawings like the sketches of like her eyes her chin her smile just all the parts that she's putting together to make the face like all that stuff is like super interesting i thought that was all great yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the detail, though, exactly, yeah, the detail in everything is just incredible. And the, like, nothing bad, I think she's the star of the movie, honestly. <laughs> the girl that made all the paintings. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about, because I doubt, this is definitely, like, a big talking point for all three of us, I'm sure, but the cinematography and how it's shot, um, is there anything... We'll start with Ben, and then we'll go with Jacob. We'll do the same order as last time. Uh, are there any shots that stood out to you guys that just, like, blew you away or just impressed you, like, beyond belief? Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of my favorite ones right now. I think the uh, the entire sequence by the fire where mm-hmm. her dress yeah. actually catches on fire, uh, like, yes. everything in that sequence I thought was Yo, spoiler, spoiler alert, man. Well, it's not spoiler. It's fine. There's just a spoiler <laughs> fire, bro. But there should be a spoiler alert coming up. There's going to be a spoiler alert. Um, we'll yeah. say that now. So if you haven't seen the movie, watch it and then come back. Um, but anyways, Ben, go so on. Yeah. Going from here, though, because I'm, I'm probably going to mention a shot that does include yeah. one. Okay. Sure. Um, this one's more just like simple directing and positioning of the actors, but... Uh, the the first time she's really out there by the waterfront with her and she's trying to like analyze all her little tendencies and like memorize her face i love the framing of them where it's, you can only really see i'm forgetting other names too marianne and she's trying to look at heloise and as she turns to look at heloise you just kind of see her staring and as they turn back you can it perfectly blocks out your view so as she's studying her we're studying her for the first time and we haven't really seen her face at all up until that point so we're like just as like interested in it as marianne is and i like the way that we really are taken on that with marianne sorry my cat's freaking out right now i don't know if you guys can hear that that. sounded like (laughs) sound like your cat said ben (laughs) honestly she always just yells at me um and same thing with with framing. I really love the the sequence where Heloise brings Marianne over to her and says, like, while you're studying me, Damn like, it. what do you think I'm seeing? That and was she the scene and... I was going to mention. <laughs> that one's so good where she, she just, and then they stare at you and she's like, what do you, and like, 
they're they're just pointing to the audience like they're looking at us but we like we know what they're talking about obviously and it's just such a powerful moment where she's revealing like every moment that we're watching Heloise that Marianne is watching Heloise she's doing the same in reverse to Marianne and I love yeah. the power of them looking back at us and it's almost like she's saying it to the audience like you've been staring at me this whole time I've been getting to know you when it, when I rewatched I love that moment I, so I watched the movie twice once a couple weeks ago and then I watched it again to kind of uh cement my thoughts more and I, when i rewatched that scene it starts off and it's looking at um heloise and she's in a mid shot and it cuts to marianne and she's in a, a medium close-up and then once they get together by the time marianne goes back it re- like this shots reverse so it's like her looking at uh, marianne now and she's in the mid shot and it's really like it's a really cool little detail I didn't pay attention to that, but I, I do know the scene you're talking about now, and yeah, I didn't notice that before, but now that you mentioned it... it com- yeah, like the yeah, camera cool. comes out a little bit more. Stuff like that, where it's like, so much... And, and that's one of those things where like a lot like, of people don't notice that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. nor do they even care, but it's such a like methodically planned out sequence, and if I think if people... I think yeah, that's something that, that if you one would, really like, fully explain it to people, that's something that really turns them around on it and makes them think, like, oh, that's really interesting, that's a cool... Like, I, I think first thing that comes to mind with that is, like, when I was showing Mary Mr. Robot, like, she didn't care about, like, framing, filming techniques, anything like that. I think as I started to, like, explain them to her, she started to get an eye for it, too, and she really started to love them. Yeah, and that it starts, it's a lot of just, like, visual storytelling. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's very powerful stuff. Yeah, movies like this um, do warrant, like, a second watch through, especially if you're not really, like, paying attention to the details at first like you definitely like, it's worth going back to just pay attention to those details it's very easy to like miss a lot of that stuff if mm-hmm. you're thinking about a hundred other things you know right but uh other stuff too like the editing i i thought like like we were saying the pacing was really good i loved all the the cuts between whenever they would look at each other like <laughs> like the eye level cuts and stuff like that Whenever they'd look at each other, they'd do the cut away kind of thing. It's just always really good at pacing, like placing you right in uh, Marianne's perspective. But then also, I was gonna say also on top of uh, just cinematography, like I thought like the color palette in this movie, it's like, it's like every shot kind of looks like an oil painting in a way. It's like a very warm color, you know. And the way it's shot on film, it just it brought something yeah, a lot yeah, to this movie. Yeah, remember while we were yeah, watching, it's one of the best the looking movies time. I've ever seen. Like, we mentioned that a couple of times in the background where it looked like, like, they don't look like they're painted, but they look like they're in a painting. I've got, like, building off of all that you guys said, like, what you just said, Ben, with they don't look like a painting, but it the background does. as like that one scene where uh, Louise is standing on the coast and the water is hitting the rocks and it's like a wide shot, like, in the distance and she's standing there just looking out. And like the background with the tones of it, it was like a colder tone. That was beautiful, like beyond beautiful. And um, there was just so many other things in this movie that blew me away with how they looked. Uh, one of them, and this, this is not so much like a, it was just the framing of how they did everything, was when Marianne arrives onto the island and is drying off and she's sitting in front of the fire with two of the wet yeah, canvases like this, beside um, her do to warrant, and she's yeah. centered perfectly in between 
especially if even that you're not really like paying attention just frames to the details at first um, like one thing this is this is something i noticed going back the entire movie and it, to those um was the facial expressions and how they framed yeah how they framed the faces like off the bat when marianne's in her classroom and she's posing for her art students and even right then this gives you an example of it focuses in on every art student like looking at her to draw this pose or paint this pose and like immediately i'm like okay sure. so faces are going to be a huge thing and they do they play and such an important role in yeah they play such an important role in showing the anger between the characters and the sexual tension they have and just the love that they have for each other and the one the one scene i love that really if it's it's like if you didn't pick up on this now here it is just in case you didn't know was um when so the 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 story is, is the plot is Eloise doesn't want to pose for the previous painter they had she refused to pose for him so he couldn't get a painting of her face so then with Marianne falling around she has to paint her from memory and just as um what's it called <laughs> study her study her throughout the day and then she would work on it that night and then eventually Eloise when she finds out that she's not there just as a companion for walking that she's actually there to paint her she kind of caves in and says okay I'll pose for you there's a scene between them where they're talking to each other about the things they do when they're in different like emotional states like Eloise tells Marianne that she loses her eyebrows when she doesn't feel like she has control of a situation and mm -hmm. and um how she I think it was when she's angry or distraught she like oh, breathes through her mouth and like even like that that was like a little kicker to be like yeah okay if you didn't pay attention to the faces now here you go I was but, I was saying to Ben too like with that, I wonder either that the actresses wrote, like, portrayed those characters with those, like, features in mind and those gestures in mind, or those were just kind of naturally, they told them to kind of be more expressive, and those were the ones that they picked up on, and they wrote them down. But either way, mm -hmm. it's, like, super impressive, like, the amount of detail, because I was kind of noticing the little gestures on their face, and then having them be, like, mentioned and brought out was, like... Mm -hmm kind of pulled me back a little bit where i was like mm -hmm. whoa <laughs> yeah and i feel like uh typically in like cases like that where a character is describing another character's like little tendencies they're either really like obvious things or there's something that if you went back like if it was in a show and like they said that in like season five episode three and you went back to the first four seasons to see if that character did that they don't <laughs> they don't do that thing it's never planned out that way Obviously, it's different in a show than it would be in a movie, but even in movies, like it's not something that's usually planned out that well. And I feel like if you go back and watch this movie with those specific tendencies in mind, like you notice that they show yeah, them all the it's time. Yeah, it's a real good statement to the acting. Like it's incredible, all the little little facial expressions. Yeah, and they definitely like that scene specifically. Really starts to like flourish out their like relationship and how they feel about each other and them slowly falling for each other and yeah that like the just 
cinematography in general in this movie is just amazing and anyone who is a fan of like beautiful artwork and cinema should definitely go watch this yeah it's objectively good it's objectively <laughs> good no it, it definitely <laughs> like i feel like there's remember this whole debate on twitter about what's good cinematography yeah and it's nice everyone's just shots. like <laughs> yeah like wide angled shots like massive like landscapes and epic things like you find in marvel movies like no like what like even what i was talking about with the facial expressions and right off like i said right off the bat with marianne's students painting her and then focusing in on their face like that is beautiful enough as it is and i keep using the word beautiful but i, I i'm like a loss of words to describe this movie in any other way yeah and i'll say another another thing too was a lot of the shots would go on for like i would notice shots would go on for a minute and a half or so but they'd all be so natural that it's not like you're thinking about it or you're really like keeping mm -hmm. your mind distracted on it but like it would just play out so naturally you know it's not like cut 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 i'm i'm jumping i'm jumping to the end here real quick but there's a scene and we'll we'll, we'll build up to how it happens but there's a scene with Eloise at an orchestra and she's listening to an orchestra and it was the song I'm pretty sure that was played at this orchestra was a song that Marianne showed her on the piano back on the island. She's like, yeah. it was one of my favorite songs. And then she starts to cry slowly. It builds up to her like kind of losing her emotions and starting to break down and cry, I guess, to the memory of Marianne. But that scene went on for so long and it reminded me of Rooney Mara eating pie in a ghost story. <laughs> It gave me oh the exact same vibe. <laughs> no, no, not even. It made me think of um, Timothy Chalamet in Call Me By Your Name. That's what I got. Yeah. I've heard a lot of comparisons between those movies, too. I don't really think it's, like, two comparable movies completely, but I that shot definitely was, like, the same kind of idea. I think this one, uh, of those three as well, had the most impact mm -hmm. that way. I don't know no, like guys, those but... scenes, it's just. Yeah, I was gonna say this is a miserable movie. <laughs> it it's meant to put you in like. Yeah. No, no, it's it's great. Like it's there's it's about the happiness in the movie, but at the end of it, I was like, man, this is a sad position for all these people now. There's just little like throughout this movie, there's just little like tidbits planted throughout the entire thing that are very. Like, I didn't notice at first until I, like, thought about it a little more. And the one that I loved, and I'm not sure if you guys know the story too much. I know it vaguely, like, I haven't actually read really into detail of it. It's the story of Orpheus and, ooh, how do you say it? Eurydice. Yo, guys, pause that thought, because if we're at the ending, uh, first of all, let's say, spoiler alert, here on out completely. Yeah. And um, I wanted to stop, pause that thought. What do you guys think about the ending? I What was your interpretation of it before you even get to that story there? Ending in what way? Like the ending of the orchestra ending or like when Marianne you, leaves and just everything from there? Like on? how did, what do you think uh, Heloise was thinking? Because I've seen a, an interpretation about it that made me kind of like it a lot more. And like, I think that's the ending I'm going to take away now. I'm going to say it after just to see if you guys got the same thing. Mm, okay. Because I think that the, the general interpretation of it is just that, this is the one I had at first, is that 
She's thinking about all the memories of them together, and she cries, and she's happy, and she cries, mm-hmm. and then it then it ends. Kind yeah. Of thing. I, but I heard another interpretation saying that it's that's like the poet answer kind mm-hmm. of idea, where it's that she knew that she was there the whole time, but she didn't want to look because she wanted to keep the memory of her, just like the story that she was of telling earlier. Kid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely. Agree and I that. like I like that ending a lot more. <laughs> thinking about that that kind of hit mm-hmm. me and i was like oh that's so much sadder too um yeah like i completely like agree like what you just said it i interpret it both those ways i can see how you would interpret it either way it's just in like a quick way to sum it up it's like saying when you're in heartbreak because clearly they're in heartbreak because they like eloise is going off to marry someone marianne just yeah i'm just talking like literal interpretation. yeah like like it's basically her not dwelling on the loss of love as a tragedy, but more as of a like a happy memory for what it was. You know what I mean? And yeah, even because she has, comes out smiling by the end of it. And even that it's shown again just before that when um, Marianne's at an art show trying to sell like some art, and she goes around and finds a portrait painted of Eloise with her What's daughter. That? I guess you would presume her daughter, right? And she's got her finger bookmarked on page 28, which is um so towards the end of the film or the end of their like work together, you could say. Um they're laying in bed together and Marianne draws portraits of herself into Eloise's book on the, the book page that she chose and then in like a pocket watch type painting holder. She draws a picture of Eloise for herself. And um, then that's shown again with the painting. She's like bookmarking in the painting, page 28, I guess. She's interpreting, or like Marianne looks at it like, okay, she she's never still forgot. watching her. And she's Cause it's like, yeah, she's. Yeah, she's on the outside looking in. Yeah, because she's always looking her at life her. Too. Yeah. That was a sad ending. I think it's, I think it's funny that you like wanted to jump to that interpretation of the ending first just because i feel like we should probably explain the the scene with orpheus and eurydice so that if anyone who hasn't seen the movie yeah i guess because i i didn't Mm -hmm. think about that either actually i i I definitely think that's the intention now that you've said that like that's especially because it's so it's such an obvious big scene when they talk about that story yeah definitely what the ending is i like that idea yeah so the story i'll just run over quickly like orpheus and your Eurydice, I'm pretty sure it's how it's pronounced. Eurydice died. Eurydice, whatever. Bit by a snake and died of venom, I think it was. But like, And um, Orpheus went to the underworld, basically, to save her. And they made a deal like, okay, she can go back to the upper world or Earth, but you can't look at her when she leaves. And there's like interpretations of him or like he looks back right before she heads to the like surface like earth surface from the underworld and then that's then people interpret it in their own ways as to why he looked back there's a whole bunch of things and there's a scene in portrait where marianne eloise and uh sophie which is one of the like the help um they're reading this story in the kitchen table and they all interpret it in their own way and they break it down like 
I guess three of the main ways that people usually break it down to, which is like the poetic way and like a literal way of why he looked back and then a more happy way of why he looked back. Did I miss a detail there? I feel like I did. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that's... Uh, I guess yeah. just, like, the ending that, you know, he he loses his faith and kind of, like, doesn't, doesn't trust that the gods are actually going to, like, commit to their promise and the intention of bringing her back. So Orpheus right, turns right, right. back to see her. So some people think it's just, like, the literal interpretation is that he is doesn't trust the gods and he looks back and he goes, oh, shit, <laughs> she was going to come back, but now that I looked, I lost her. Some people think it's mm-hmm. he'd rather like look at her and see her one more time and then keep that memory. Yeah, that's that happens in the like movie. Like they literally show an example of that towards the end before Marianne leaves the the house. Um, so one when there, she we... says she goes to Louise and. Okay. <laughs> no, no, you go on. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. My, <laughs> just my no, my audio cut out for a second. I, I it all went off. Weird. Okay. <laughs> you went silent. Okay, sorry. So, what, uh, okay, no, no problem. Um, what I was saying was, uh, so there's a scene, or like towards the end before Marion leaves the house, uh, she's. She, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't. I'm lost. She leaves, and um she uh what's it called it's leaving and tell and uh, eloise goes to the top of the staircase before she's leaving and tells her to turn around and she i can't remember she she doesn't turn around she just leaves and closes the door which could you can interpret it in the same way of this orpheus and eurydice story on she didn't like potentially she didn't want to look back at her because she wanted to keep the memories that they had and not want her last memory of her being like her, like a final goodbye yeah you know it's I mean? kind of it's almost like the story starts off where um marianne is orpheus and heloise is a uh, eurydice and then by the end of the story like the the roles reverse i think maybe that's why i didn't make that connection right away either of what like you're the thing that you explained jacob because i think i i thought that that's the wrap-up of the whole orpheus and eurydice scene yeah so that to come back again. But yeah, that, I really like that interpretation, actually. And I definitely agree with it. Yeah, it made me, like, once I saw that, I was like, oh, I think I like the ending a lot more now. It kind of uh, adds a little bit, another layer that brings a lot to it. Um, is there anything else, like, specifically you guys are very fond of um, in this movie? Um, I know yeah, I, I, I got a, I got a bunch like, more to say, Aside honestly. from cinematography. Um, with, with that, too, I thought uh, I was reading an interpretation of the original story online. And that's more of an interpretation about like what killed her wasn't that like it was his like trust like for from her perspective like uh Orpheus is that the girl no Eurydice from Eurydice for what killed her was the male gaze <laughs> like the literal interpretation was she was killed by the male gaze I thought that's like a really interesting interpretation because in this movie there's like no men at all it's completely like women there's no there's no power dynamic in the relationship too. Which is something you don't really see in most uh, romance. And I think, speaking of like a, a romance, um, so it is, if if nobody knew this about the movie before, it is about a lesbian romance. If you, if you haven't caught on. Uh, yeah, I had to point that out. People don't fucking, like, I don't know. <laughs> Many people didn't catch on. It's like, what the hell is this movie right. about? <laughs> um, but I feel like uh, Celine uh, Siyama 
did an amazing job at portraying this romance elegantly and not forced or mediocre. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a very honest relationship. Yeah, if a man directed this, you know there'd be like a sex scene near the end there. Yeah, and there is definitely like... Well, they're like laying together, but it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's not... It's not super sexual or anything. It's just like... It is elegant and it's... Elegant, yeah, elegant. (laughs) Elegant. It's definitely... Yeah, it is elegant and... So I thought this, and I have no better way to word this. So just hear me out for a second. <laughs> it's it's not bad. You can definitely tell that this movie was directed by a woman, and is a has because it has a very feminine tone to it. But that's in like the best way. Like you said, if a man directed this movie, it would have the the romance would have just been like like I said, mediocre. It would have been like any other lesbian romance we've seen that's portrayed in film directed by a man because they don't get it you're a man you're not you're not a woman loving a woman if a woman directs yeah, it would have been it, a very yeah it's it gives be you a lot a, of like hot tension <laughs> yeah and it's you could tell it's directed by a woman and that's like i said in the best way and one of the examples that i noticed um was the abortion scene with the third character sophie they like the a lot of abortion scenes I've seen have made it be such like a scary thing and such an aggressive thing. And this one made it partly true to what it is. And I've seen this a lot online about like yeah, I it medical was physicians <laughs> talking about it, how they're like, it's not like a horror movie that you think it is. The process it wasn't a horror not... movie, but, but God, I thought it was miserable when mm-hmm. they put a baby it's next real. to her. Yeah, her, it's her oh, her I have that note right. baby's hand while she's getting the abortion was brutal. It's like, oh, I'm like, come on. But no, like that scene is very telling. And and I feel like if a man directed this movie, they would have just fucked it up, basically. Yeah, Yeah, I think that one that one's a a really important scene to be like only have women in that scene directed by a woman. And I think it's such a I was just gonna say, I think it's also like really telling of the times that they kind of have to like keep it all hush hush and. I like that um, Heloise's character, she's kind of, you know, she's, like, trapped inside. She's not even allowed to go, like, outside by herself. Like, she's been kind of living in this bubble for her entire life, so she doesn't really know the way the world works. And I like how when Sophie looks to Marianne for, like, guidance in that moment, Marianne just kind of casually mentions how she's had it a couple times before. Like, she doesn't say a number. It's more than one, but she's been through an abortion before as well yeah and like she just kind of says it in this like offhanded way where it's just i don't know i thought that was a really powerful moment individually just because it shows how like blind heloise is to the entire world that way and how marianne's kind of lived through it uh one one thing that's uh kind of outside the movie but i thought it was really interesting to bring up now is uh the director and adele hanel uh they were in a relationship before this movie before for like oh, for okay. years but like i think they're they've been broken up for a few years now but like that's uh yeah, and, and adele hanel is heloise so like that's the the character yeah. that she yeah. draws the portrait of like they focus on her face so much in this movie that's i wonder if like yeah i don't know what to do with that i wonder if like the movie is kind of about her in a way <laughs> like a love letter to her that's yeah. interesting that's an interesting take yeah that's right a- that's almost weird now. <laughs> Once I heard that, I was like, like I got chills. I was like, oh, like 
that's yeah because there's this whole thing in this movie that i noticed too was it was like going back to the ending where with heloise is crying at the orchestra and happy and she's remembering all the good memories with marianne like i said before it's like in marianne seeing that it's like she's she doesn't know what her life is like now but she didn't approach her about it she didn't let her see her you know what i mean so she's on the outside looking in and if that theory is correct that maybe celine siyama made this as a love letter to her it would have that interpretation like this character is looking at you and your life now from the outside they don't know what's happened in your life and it might be her like i um vouched for you being casted into this movie but i don't know what's going on in your life lately yeah i guess they've worked on uh, three movies together i read so their third one now um so it's uh i've got uh, it's like she's her yeah. muse you know i do like so you, like i do like um how this movie kind of gives you the idea of uh or makes you think about a connection an artist and their muse might have obviously we know artists are the creative gears of this earth <laughs> and it's crazy that some like how some artists can produce what they do or produce what they do produce if i can say that any better way but just like this is a really good example of how an artist can build a connection with their subject basically and produce something completely different from what you might just see on the base level what do you guys think about uh the lack of music i thought it was a really quiet movie but it's really grown on me that i didn't have music because the first time i saw it i thought it would kind of add a little bit of life to the movie but this isn't really a happy life these people are living and i almost like that the music is so impactful because like in the movie when it's diegetically used because of the lack of music it without the movie or in the movie itself or whatever yeah i think that's it's definitely intentional that way where like even though it would be even though like a main score would be non-diegetic the characters aren't hearing it i think it has a bigger impact especially that sequence where Marianne plays uh, Four Seasons on the harpsichord for her. And it felt like, oh, this I haven't heard music in this movie in a long time, if ever. And I hadn't really noticed it until I heard music for the first time. Just how quiet it was. So yeah, it was, it was another good way of showing just how sheltered Heloise is. That was a really effective use, I think. Exactly. You got that feeling. It's very impressive. Especially, yeah, on, like, an island. it's And it's the 1700s, and what do they got? They don't got, like, a band there. They got this piano. No one knows how to play the piano. Then you're not going to get any music. Yeah, whenever they do play music, and, like, the, the scene also later on when it's, um, the choir. Yeah, that scene got loud. Oh, my God, it gets, like... <laughs> I remember you just, like, turning feel down the volume so, so hard much during it. all there is at the moment, you know? Man, I had my... My laptop was on full, and I was watching it uh, on my HDMI through my TV. My volume was only at, like, 30 or so, but, like, I could hear the volume, like, cracking. I was like, oh, my God, I need to turn this down. Mine was at 100 because oh. um, I was watching on my laptop, and because I couldn't hear the dialogue, like, barely. So I was like, fuck, okay, this is it just my laptop being weird? And then the, <laughs> the music hit, and I was like, fuck, it turned down to 40, back up again to 100 once it's done. Um... But speaking of, like, dialogue stuff, I just want to say, I'm just going to put this out there. I have nothing really, like, detailed to say about this, but obviously obviously it's a French movie. It has English subtitles. And 
I'm not sure if it's written in this way or this is just my lack of knowledge of French, but it seems like they took the most beautiful parts of the French language and used it into this movie because just like even like reading the English subtitles made it to like such like a pretty movie to to go through and to the dialogue was very very pretty and then I could only imagine being like fluent in French and how much more like impactful that could be don't you Bro. Yeah. It's the love language. French is the language. No, I know. Of love. I know what you mean. I have a, a soft spot for for French, uh, the French voice as well. Language, French voices in the language as well. Like uh, this band Stereo Lab, they have like half their songs in French, and it's oh, it's so beautiful. Just great, great sounding language for sure. I agree, but it's nothing really to really do with the movie except the language. <laughs> but you get yeah, you guys have uh really covered a lot of uh what i want to talk about too <laughs> yeah i thought we weren't going to talk about i going into this i said that i didn't think we were gonna have a lot to talk about and then as i started writing things down i was like all right there's there's quite a bit here there's a lot building onto the language um like in dialogue and stuff it's just like a quick note i had was it's simple but yeah very poetic and it really uses into um the less is more and like with the facial expressions integrated into that like i'll use the word actions for the sake of the saying but like actions speak louder than words and by actions it's just the facial expressions that is a like those two things like play very heavily into dialogue like you could debatably put this movie to like cut the dialogue in half and it would still Mm -hmm. be just as impactful i really found that this movie like in the last few movies we've watched, we discussed how these scenes were not really necessary. This is a movie I feel like every scene yeah, they have plays an important role in this movie. Regardless, and you can't you cut every anything out here for sure. And even if it's not like a s- super big thing, like even just you want to see the shots like of them like standing at the beach or drawing painting stuff, you still want to see that regardless. It just adds to it more. Adds yeah. to the atmosphere and the story. Uh, I got a couple more things written down. One thing I wanted to mention was, <laughs> this is like, I was hoping we can naturally bring this into conversation, but I'm going to just say it, because whatever. Um, Just say it. What do you guys think the fire represented? <laughs> the fire of being of a woman. Love. Womanhood. No, but Love. I thought there was. there's obviously something going on there. Where like every Bad. time she, she caught on fire twice, um, right? Or it's only the one scene. Just the one. Mm-hmm. But there's the there's the original one where she burns the yeah. painting and it kind of lingers but on the painting. When it does it on her though, she doesn't even notice. Right. And when she does notice, like she just faints, and it's really like, it's almost like she's unfazed by it in a way. So I thought there was uh there's some something going on there for sure, kind of like. There's a fire burning inside of them at all times, but they have to keep up appearances, you know? Like, even with Sophie, like, she has this whole problem going on where she has to have, where she has a baby going on, but she has to, you know, pretend like she's fine and her life's okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, yeah, definitely something going on with that. I think Sophie is, um, I'll just point this out. Like, Sophie, I think, played a great part in this movie, like, had a great role. Like, I know she wasn't, the main part of this story but 
I feel like with the character written in as a very down to earth person, like parts of this movie could be perceived as kind of dreamy and fantasy land. And she really brought like a down earth, like pulled everything back down to like ground level and made it a lot Yo, like smoother of a did, ride. Did they hang her and realistic? In a scene, though? What was that about? There's like the one scene where like she's being what? hung. Oh, when they were when they were trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, maybe that's like a a certain way to abort that didn't work back then. I, I was I was confused in that scene too. It was kind of. Co- it was a little comical. It was the first time to, like, show them trying to abort the baby, but I don't really know if that's like an old technique. <laughs> I, or something. I love how I this know. movie could also just be flipped on its head and turn into a horror if it really wanted to. Because <laughs> like there are like. If the elements are there, literally all you have to do is start putting in some creepy cult shit or witchcraft stuff. This and is how you know the conversation now. has gone on too long. <laughs> all right, what are you? Yeah, what are your final thoughts, guys? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, ben, you want to go ahead? <laughs> uh, no, I'll go last. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like I was saying, when I first started. I feel like even by the end of this conversation, I've come around, you know, I like this movie a lot more than I did. <laughs> like, I still, before this conversation, I give it a four out of five. I'm starting to feel maybe a light four and a half, even. I think, Hell yeah. I See, the thing is, I don't think your initial reaction has to be the rating that you give a movie or anything like that. You can, like, think about a movie within no. after two weeks and still come to like and appreciate it even more. Yeah, even our conversations we have like on There's these a lot of, episodes could change yeah, your mind exactly. on There's it. There's a lot of movies that you'll only appreciate them when you start having kind of conversations like this. So, so yeah, I'm feeling final reading. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Four and a half out of five, buddy. We've done it out of ten the last two episodes. It's a nine out of ten <laughs> right there. Okay. You're okay. right. You're right. Beautiful. You're right. <laughs> uh, ben. Yeah, I, I kind of think similarly where, like, right off the bat, I liked it a lot, but I didn't love it. But, yeah, definitely this conversation alone has made me think about it more. I really want to watch it again. I don't know if you watched it twice, Gabe, or just the one time. Uh, I watched it once, but I know my dad's going to watch it tonight, yeah. so I'm going to probably watch it with him. I think it's a movie that I'll definitely like a lot more on rewatch. Um yeah, I'd say it's a strong 8 out of 10. It's funny because I was placing it in my top 2019 list on Letterboxd, like, just before we started the podcast. And initially, I didn't think it was going to be that high. And even just as I started looking at other movies and thinking about, like, how I feel about them now and how I feel about this movie, it just kind of crept into the top 10. And, like, 2019 was a stacked year. So, like, it's at my number 9 spot right now. And I'm looking at all the ones above it, and like they're all some of my favorite. And the same thing where it's like every movie, I was I had it like pretty, pretty like around like twenty. But there was a lot of great movies that came out last year, kind of thing. So it was around number twenty, and then every time I checked it, I was putting it higher and higher and higher. Yes, so I'd say it's a strong eight out of ten. Yeah, Gabe. Yeah, it's you. It's you. Saw like final thoughts. Beautiful movie. Definitely check it out if you haven't yet. Um. I will give it like yeah a nine out of ten, for sure. Um, also Adele NL, love you for walking out on Roman Polanski winning a award because a fuck that guy. 
That's that's yeah. That's okay, sick. so uh, real quick, I'll touch over this. Um, I can't remember what award show it was, but it's basically like the Oscars for France. And he he because he's still living in France making movies. Um, and we all know Roman Polanski, it's a fucking piece of shit. Um, but he won an award for a movie he did. I think it was literally best picture, beat portrait, and he wasn't there. Because I don't think the film community really likes him out there, anyways. Um, so as soon as announced he won, she got up and left. And as she's walking out of the theater that the award show was hosted at, she in French, uh, but she's she translates to her saying "Oh, bravo to the pedophile" and just chanting that out as she's storming out of the building. Was this the year of Portrait? This was last year. Okay. Was it just yeah. Cannes Film Festival? It could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big French one. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was that. No, you can find it on YouTube. It was like a big thing, and yeah. So, two thumbs up for Adele. No, fuck Roman Polanski. Uh, nine out of ten. Gay rights, because this movie is the gay movie of last year in the best way. I fucking love it. And that's my final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was. Bro, film, Twitter, any LGBTQ plus film, Twitter people called this the gay event of the year. And I can see why. <laughs> there wasn't much else, honestly. Wait, 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 wait. What about Rise of Skywalker? What about that moment, that moment at the ending where there's two women rebels? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a fleeting moment, but so powerful, you know? Yeah, got on Disney. Putting in a scene that you can cut out. Don, nah, this is the one. Fuck Love, Simon. Fuck Call Me By Your Name. This Ooh. is the one. Yeah, Jacob loves How Timothy dare you? This is the one. I do too. He's great. I actually do love Timothy Shaw. The other guy. <laughs> Army Hammer? Did you know Army Hammer's full name is Arm Armand Hammer? <laughs> His name is literally Arm and Hammer, like the company. Are you joking? I'm not kidding. Look it up. R- oh, pff, I said R- <laughs> A R M A N D. Wow, Armin Douglas Hammer. Douglas. I do also love Armin Hammer. Armin Hammer. Oh, why? Who? <laughs> why would their parents do that? Okay, so that's. I think that's our review yeah. of Portrait of a Lady four, on Fire. Four flames um, or five flames on Letterboxd. Next week, or. Like, yeah, four flames yeah. out of five. Unless you're Jacob and don't have the flames. I don't. I think this is a iPhone thing. Because I have an Android. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, so next week, or no, two weeks, uh, we are going to be uh, doing a double movie review, which is the Hulu exclusive Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. And the second one, First Cow, A24's First Cow, which I've heard is phenomenal. So, how can you guys? Uh, yeah, how I, you I guys just watched Palm Springs last night. I'm not gonna say how's the audience yet, find Palm but, uh, Springs. Also, know someone in the states. Yeah, you. Yeah. Watch on Hulu. American audience, American audience, you're good. Canadians, you watch it on Hulu. stop doxing us, uh, man. Canadians, figure it out. If you're in the states, we went to the border and uh, we just hit up that Wi-Fi. The FBI is gonna be knocking on my door any minute now because of this conversation. Yeah, just wait. Just wait for two weeks from now. <laughs> Dude, shut up. <laughs> so yeah, next week, first cow, Palm Springs. 
Make sure to check out the episode 2.5 with Ben and Jacob's review on The Last of Us Part 2, which does have spoilers, I'm assuming. I'm not allowed to listen to it. That's that. Thanks for listening to our review of Portrait of a Young Fire, episode 3 of Under the Great Lakes podcast. We'll send it off. My name's Gabe. Thank you very much. Say goodbye, boys. <laughs> I was going to say this before. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Women. <laughs> Women. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>